Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 19, titled Letters of Transit. God, this... this frickin' episode, man... I love it so much. (laughs) It's so great. It is such a left-hand turn that in the hands of a lesser show, in the hands of lesser writers, would have felt so out of place and dumb. But they build it out so well, and it's so fantastic to watch, and it sets up such a brilliant final season, which... Oh my god, I can't wait to talk about Season 5. Season 5 feels like an entirely different show. It really, really does. And I can't wait to to dive into the madness that is that incredible final season. Uh, it's great. It, it's really, really amazing. Uh, and absolutely magnificent. And one of the highlights of Season 4. Uh, so of course, this is in Episode 19. Uh... Fringe aficionados know very well by now that uh, since season two, it has been a tradition that episode 19 be a weird one, that episode 19 be something really strange. And so, this is that. Uh, We've previously gotten an animated episode in season three. In season two, uh, the one that started it all was (laughs) Walter telling a little girl a... Hard-boiled detective fantasy musical story while high on a custom drug called Brown Betty. (laughs) And this time around, they decided to essentially do a backdoor pilot for season five. That's basically what they did. (laughs) And it's beautiful. Uh, And... There actually is a story behind this. Uh, The legend goes, and who the hell knows how true this is, but the legend that has permeated the internet is that by the end of season four, Fringe's ratings were down so much that they were like on the brink of cancellation. They were like teetering on the edge. And in a last-ditch effort to save the show... The writers just went, hey, here's what our final season would look like if you gave it to us. We're going to just show that off and we're going to slide that in season four. Maybe you'll give it to us, please. And then the episode came out and people were interested in it. And the executives just eventually decided, okay, sure, fine. You get your final season. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Maybe this will get more ratings. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> that, that is the legend. And if that's the case, holy crap, this is the episode that saved Fringe, quite honestly. <laughs> it really, really is. Uh, but I should talk about, like, what the hell this episode actually is. So, we cut to 2036. 
And the observers had 21 years previous in 2015, the far future of 2015. <laughs> For context, this came out in 2012. <laughs> uh, the observers stopped observing and they invaded. Uh, their science team was clearly done and they just... A whole bunch of them showed up and their entire race just took over the planet. And the observers now rule the world. The fringe team is missing. They're gone. No one knows where they are. Uh, they tried to fight back but were defeated. And that's just it. We we all live under observer rule in the year of our Lord 2036. And that's where this episode picks up, and that's what all of Season 5 is. God, this is why I love Fringe. Like, this is one of the many, 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 many reasons why I love Fringe. No show, at least not on network television, has evolved so much and taken on so many forms in such a short time span. In, in just five seasons. Like, in five seasons, that show went from a really, really good X-Files ripoff to full-blown war between alternate universes to really intriguing exploration of an alternate timeline to dystopian future wrapped in a time war. And all those iterations are great. All those iterations are amazing. Like, it wore so many hats in five seasons and wore all of them perfectly. Uh, we also, like, with this Observer invasion, get some, like, cool new Observer abilities. Uh, they can mind white people. They can read thoughts. And it just makes them, like, more terrifying villains. There's this lead observer called Captain Winmark. He's essentially the main villain of season five, and he is kind of terrifying, if I'm be being totally honest. He is, like, really, really menacing, and he's really good, and I can't wait to talk about him a bit. Uh, and they built out this world so well. Uh, we're g we'll get into things that are different in a minute, but, like, they build out this dystopian future in such a magnificent way. Uh, also, I love the intro they use for this episode, and they're going to use it all throughout Season 5, uh, where usually they write various fringe sciences in the opening title sequence. Uh, so you have, uh, for example, the Season 1 list was Psychokinesis, Teleportation, Nanotechnology, Artificial Intelligence, Precognition, Dark Matter, Cybernetics, Suspended Animation, Transmogrification, or Transmogrification, rather, and... Uh, it kept changing throughout the course of the show. So you had all of those uh, different fringe sciences, th things that seemed impossible. In place of that, you have community, joy, individuality, education, imagination, private thought, due process, ownership, free will... And at one point, very end of the opening sequence, it just, the screen is all one word, freedom. Like, these are the impossible things that Fringe Season 5 explores. Like, 
what was previously just normal, what was previously just a thing that you have, is now, like, among the impossible. Like, it's such a great opening title sequence. It's, like, it's the best iteration of that opening title sequence. It's so good. Uh, but anyway, we now have a big dystopian future to parse through, and we are also still dealing with alternate timeline stuff. Uh, so I gotta stop talking and start talking about things that are different. Different setting, same shitty intro. So most of this is gonna be the 2036 world, but... Uh, there are, are, like I said, some alternate timeline weirdness that we're going to get into in a minute. Uh, so, building out this 2036 world. So, the surviving humans, because apparently there was, like, a big uprising that failed miserably and a bunch of people got murdered. Uh, the surviving humans are called natives. That is what the observers call humans. Or call 2036 humans, because really observers are just super evolved, time-traveling superhumans. And some of them are called loyalists. Some factions of natives are referred to as loyalists, and they've been marked by the observers. Uh, And they work for the observers, and they're basically their police. Uh, Fringe Division is now essentially a native control agency. Fringe Division now, with Broyles still at the helm. Broyles is still in charge of Fringe Division. But Fringe Division now acts as a way of policing natives. And they answer directly to Captain Winmark. So there's that. Uh, New York City has has essentially become a central hub of observers, like... Observers are freaking everywhere in that city. And people say the city in, like, a very, like, terrified, menacing way. Like, the city, like, I got friends in the city is code for, hey, I'm talking to observers. Uh, And, like, it kind of has gained this uh, terror behind it. Massive Dynamic is gone. Massive Dynamic is not a thing anymore. And Nina Sharp's, like, working at the Ministry of Science or whatever. Uh, September actually tried to help the original Fringe Division uh, stop the Observer invasion. And Walter talks about something happening to him. We don't know what. Uh, We don't know what happened to him. Uh, And the original Fringe Division agents, uh, Walter, Olivia, Peter, Astrid, all of them, they've essentially become mythic figures. They've essentially become, like, these mythological heroes. They've gone from, in the words of Folivia, toiling in secrecy to... Like, just these titans of mythology that people sort of use to hold on to hope. And there are all these legends that they're, uh, like, in Peru or something. Or they're immortal. Uh, that they're, uh, constructing their next plan to stop the observers. And, of course, we find out they're ambered. Also, coffee is 
chew now? Coffee is like a chewable food and not like a drink. That's a thing. Okay. Uh, but that's all like the 2036 stuff that at least I could think of. That at least uh, I remembered to put in the notes. But there's also some alternate timeline stuff that this episode reveals. First off, uh, Walter's brain was not destroyed in this alternate timeline. Or the pieces of Walter's brain that were removed were not destroyed. They didn't fall under the hands of uh, Thomas Jerome Newton. They weren't embedded in other people's brains. Uh, they were actually held onto by Massive Dynamic. They were actually held onto by Massive Dynamic and it was still in their vault. And that becomes a big MacGuffin of the episode. Uh, and so a little, little minor thing. Um, there's no, uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of consequences from this, but it's just a little thing worth mentioning. Uh, William Bell is alive in this alternate timeline. William Bell is fully alive. He got ambered along with the rest of Fringe Division. So at some point, William Bell came back. A reminder that everyone, even in this timeline, believes William Bell to be dead. But he is alive. And, uh... Walter in 2036 does not feel much for William Bell. Uh, he has that great moment where he just cuts out his hand and doesn't bother to free him. And he's remarking about how William Bell did something to Olivia and uh, even Astrid can't be compassionate enough to want him to be released and all of that. Uh, what is William Bell like in this alternate timeline? What is going on with William Bell in this alternate timeline? What is this? I need answers, damn it! Well, I, okay, I already have the answers because I've watched this show before. But for the people who haven't, they need answers, damn it! <laughs> uh, but yeah. That, on that totally minor, not at all consequential note, uh, that is all for things that... Are different. God, I, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> so, getting into the actual story of this episode after 14 minutes. <laughs> uh, so, this episode focuses on two rogue fringe agents. Etta who I absolutely love. Etta is an awesome character, and she is the best. She got a bullet hanging around her neck. That becomes an important thing, trust me. Uh, and, and another guy named Simon. Simon Foster. And they have sort of spent a lot of time searching for Fringe Division. Or rather, Etta has, and Simon tagged along when it became clear that they weren't just fully dead. And the opening sequence of this episode, after the Blade Runner exposition scroll, is so good. Etta goes into this club uh, where a bunch of observers are 
being friendly with a lot of native ladies, a lot of human ladies, and club owner gets real pissy with an observer, almost gets his mind wiped, and then Edda is just like, hey, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll deal with him. I'll, I'll deal with him. You can mind wipe him, but then that, uh, then that caused a whole bunch of problems. I'll just deal with him. And by the way, observers can't read Edda's thoughts for some reason. For some reason, Edda has the ability to not have her thoughts read by observers. Hmm. Hmm. But Edda does her scheduled meet with this club owner who's like, yeah, uh, I, I found, I found fringe division. Here's an ambered Walter. Uh, there's more ambered bodies, but I could only cut out one of them. I had to leave. And then before he can say where the other bodies are, a loyal, a loyalist comes up and shoots him and kills him. And Etta has to then run away very, very fast. So now, we have to revive Walter. We have to bring Walter back. And Etta and Simon are able to figure out a way. So this generation of Amber, there's a new generation of Amber that reseals very quickly. Like, astronomically quickly. Like... If you revert it to its gaseous state, it reforms in like a second. There we go. <laughs> I had a like a really weak nothing snap. <laughs> and I was very, very concerned about my inability uh, to do an effective snap. Now I, uh, I have regained the ability. This was very important to basically stop the podcast to correct. <laughs> uh, but... They have to find a way to basically push Walter out before it solidifies. And what they essentially do is they have this, like, device that just pushes someone with, like, pretty great force across the room. It was designed originally for crowd control, but then loyalists just started using bullets. They get this... And they use that and the Amber Gasolizer thingamabob. That's the technical name of it. To push Walter out of the Amber. So everything's great, right? Everything's totally great and nothing is left to possibly go wrong. Except for the fact that because Walter Ambered himself and was so close to uh, the source, it gave him brain damage. More so than he already had. To the point where he literally cannot function. So now they're just walking around with a... More insane than usual Walter. Who just has no idea what's going on or where he is. And is... Basically exhibiting a lot of Alzheimer's dementia symptoms. And is just... Not there. (laughs) He's not there at all. So, they go to Nina, who's like, okay, you can use the pieces of his brain in Massive Dynamic to 
uh, reconstruct his neural pathways and to fix him. Only problem is... Our facility, which still has the brain pieces, is in the city. A.K.A. Observer Territory. So, yeah. Not great. Not great at all. So they have to, like, sneak Walter through to the city. They have an encounter with a loyalist that, oh my god, it's just, like, pins and needles. Like, you have a very, like, rocky situation where... They have to form a cover story for why they're there. Uh, They have this, like, lack of paperwork that they have to explain. Walter keeps having these outbursts uh, that are not helping at all. He's referencing Star Wars a lot. (laughs) These are not the droids you're looking for. And and it's, like, a a really, really great moment. Uh, Eventually, they do get past. And they get to Massive Dynamic. Uh, they get his brain pieces, use it to form a serum that basically regrows his brain on its own. And so, Walter's back. After uh, much trials and tribulation and way more talk about monkey feces than is at all relevant to anything. <laughs> Crazy Walter spends a lot of time talking about monkey feces for some reason, and I don't know why. Uh, Walter's back and has his full mental faculties uh, and is fully operating on all cylinders. And, by the way, he has the pieces of his brain that got removed back. So he's like old Walter. He's like the old, no bullshit, uh, just prickly douchebag Walter. And it's great. (laughs) And it's actually kind of great. So, uh, it is revealed that Walter had built a machine. uh, But they got ambered before they could finish constructing it. That would somehow get rid of the observers. And he needs to finish it. In order to finish it, he needs to... Go back and uh, unamber Fringe Division. And up unamber the other people. Also, we get the origin story of why the Observers invaded. Uh, Apparently, in the year 2609, they finally ruined the planet. And it became completely uninhabitable. And rather than, you know, die... And become extinct. They traveled back in time. And took our planet from us. And subjugated all the people of the 21st century. So there's that. Man. uh, 2609. That's. That's optimistic. (laughs) That's very optimistic. If I'm being totally honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm, yes. 
ask a lot of experts, uh, on our current rate, the planet will be ruined much, much sooner than that. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'll have to keep from crying. It is at this moment that the observers start, uh, well, an observer and a bunch of loyalists raid the massive dynamic facility because, uh, they tripped an alarm coming in. And so they now have to ex- escape from the loyalists, escape from the observer. Uh, they're running throughout the entire facility. And then Walter, in a moment of pure badassery, on a level hitherto undreamt of, Walter constructs a freaking antimatter bomb. And completely decimates the entire massive dynamic facility. So yeah. There's that. And I love the line that Walter has of like, We are insurgents and this is antimatter. You're smart, do the math. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, Walter took no shit Walter just destroyed an entire building just decimated it just wiped it out of existence god damn (laughs) wow just just wow Uh, but then Walter remembers where uh, everyone else is ambered they go there now is worth noting. Among those we find Amberd are, of course, William Bell, as I mentioned, who we do not free, Astrid, and Peter. Now, Broyles and Nina are, of course, accounted for. We know that they continue to live on. Oh, by the way, Nina's in a wheelchair. I totally forgot to mention that. That, that's a little uh, addendum to things that are different. Doop. <laughs> that's the addendum intro. Just a single doot. <laughs> uh, but they're accounted for. Notice who's not there. Lincoln is not there. And Olivia is not there. Now, Olivia not being there is especially conspicuous... Given that, um, she's kind of fated to die in the present day. There's still that prophecy from September of, I've seen all possible futures, and in every one the result is the same, you have to die. That's still a thing. Be afraid, be very afraid for Olivia Dunham. Just saying. So, we're at the Amber site. We free Astrid. She's all good. But then all the equipment just totally breaks down. All the equipment is just gone and just breaks and we have no way to free Peter from the Amber without leaving someone else behind. While this is happening, 
Broyles is able to piece together that Etta and Simon have gone rogue. Uh, and they activate a tracker inside of Simon. And that is being used to track them down and arrest them. In the last moments before they leave, Simon decides, I'm going to get in and push Peter. And I will encase myself in amber in order to save him. And it's a really, really devastating moment. Because this guy, only around for an episode, already becomes like a really, really well-done character. Like, this does a good job of uh, building up both Etta and Simon. Building up those characters. You have that great moment where Simon talks about uh, the moment he saw on the television that the observers were taking people from their homes and killing them. Uh, and the moment he decided he'd never give up and he would always fight the observers. And, like, that whole history, that whole backstory. And, like, they really did a good job of getting you to care about him over the course of this episode. And then he's just, like, just when you get into him, he sacrifices himself to save Peter. So he pushes Peter out, he ambers himself, they all get away. Just as uh, Broyles and all the rest come in, look at what has transpired, and you have this great moment where Broyles like, picks up a half-eaten uh, piece of licorice, and he you can kind of see on Lance Reddick's face, he doesn't say anything, but Lance Reddick is such a good actor that he's able to convey it with very, very minimalistic facial expressions. He's able to put two and two together of, oh shit, they're back. <laughs> you can kind of see on his face, like him kind of piecing everything together and figuring out what has transpired. And then we get this beautiful, beautiful ending. Where Walter, Astrid, Peter, and Etta are on this train. Uh, Walter's shown off his William Bell hand that he took from the Amber. Peter goes up to Etta and is like, hey, uh, I'm sorry about your friend. We'll get him back, I promise. And then Etta's just like, hey, um, weird question. Do you know me? And Peter just looks at her weird like, wait, how, how could I possibly know you? I mean, I was in Amber for 20 years. You barely look old enough to be... And then you see on Peter's face a realization moment. And he's like, Henrietta? And at this point, Etta reveals herself to be Peter and presumably Olivia, since she looks a lot like Olivia's daughter. Henrietta Bishop. And there's this beautiful reunion that acts as this cathartic moment that we didn't even know the episode was building to. We didn't even know this was a reunion we wanted to see. But they did such a great job of subtly building it up. Uh, there's a moment where Etta says, like, hey, uh, I, I was four years old the last time I saw my parents. I haven't seen them in 20 years. Uh, there is a... 
really, really great moment where Walter looks at Etta and goes like, you. <laughs> like, you could tell he's, like, recognizing her. Uh, her entire drive to find Fringe Division, find the original Fringe team, and bring them back now, like, makes so much more sense. This was never just about uh, bringing back the Observers. This was about, or, or not bringing back the Observers. This was never about uh, taking on the Observers. This was never just about uh, fighting the Observers. This was also about getting her damn family back. Like, suddenly the entire episode takes on new meaning with this ending. Also, worth noting, her name's Henrietta. Which, very clearly, named after Henry Dunham. The son that Peter had in the original timeline that got erased when he stepped into the machine. And the machine erased him from history. So Peter named Henrietta... After his erased from existence son, who in turn was named after Henry Arliss Higgins. Henry Arliss Higgins is the most important character in all of Fringe Confirmed. <laughs> Justice for Henry Arliss Higgins. He should have had more screen time. Uh, but yeah, this episode is fantastic. This episode is really, really amazing. I love it. It's so good. I can't wait to talk about the insanity that is season five. Season five is among my favorite seasons. Like, it's between three and five for me. I've talked about this before. Those are the two best easily in my mind. I I love it so much. I love how different it is. I love how perfectly it uh, brings this whole giant complex saga to a close it's just it's incredible and we still have three more episodes of season four to do so we still have the david robert jones stuff we still have the bridge we still have the cortexa fan we still have the fact we remember we left off on walter bishop saying david robert jones wants to literally collapse two universes we left off with walter bishop saying hey just so you know david robert jones wants to cause two concurrent apocalypses that is very much a thing <laughs> like that is very much like something that is happening back in current times before long before 2036 long before this observer inv invasion but oh my god all of it 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 get ready for some insanity it, it's gonna be great like Three more of this season, and then a 13-episode final season, and then we're done. Like, we're we're in a race to the finish. We are in a race to the goddamn finish. Anyway, uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcast app you prefer. Feel free to call in, as well as simple as just push for a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time, if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark, pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that's the work for you, you can also support the show directly. Yeah. You can also support this show directly via Anchor. I appreciate everything I get through there. I cannot talk. Uh, on Monday, we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 20. Talk to you then.